Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, without further ado, Bruce McCulloch. Great job. Thank you so much. Is there just humming in my head, or is that actually in this space? Um, is it very loud? Oh, it, and it went away. I feel I have such power. Isn't that better? Should I reintroduce CJ now that it's quieter, or is, or, or is that fine? Um, uh, before we begin, I, I should say, uh, in, um, to be honest, that... Um, because one of the things I do when I do these, and I do these uh, actually quite a lot, it doesn't seem like it, um, is anything that comes into my head, I kind of say, um, So, which can be dangerous. Um, and what I wanted to say is that, honestly, my Starbucks name is Ricky. <laughs> so when I go and they, I get my cappuccino, they go, what's your name? I go, Ricky. And then... They never, they never know me anyway, so it doesn't matter. But then, and then when they, when they call out later, they call Ricky. Um, I just feel so good <laughs> that I'm sort of such a subtle lie. And hello, that I would um, love to be Ricky. Um, I don't know what he's like. He's probably, um, you know, an inch or two taller than me. Um, and uh, so uh, I'm going to try to be like Ricky here this evening. Um, but honestly, thank you so much for coming. Uh, it's really fun as I've, I've had this book out and been able uh, to meet people. Um, and God bless bookstores. You know, they still exist. Um, and people still read books. And as I walk around this wonderful bookstore, I'm daunted at all the great uh, works that are in here. So uh, thank you so much, because I know it, we're all busy to come out for a few minutes to, to hear an old man blather. You know, if I were Ricky... <laughs> I play bass I think Ricky would play the zither um, so my book is um, uh, an autobiography uh, essentially so the weird stories um, uh, sta tales of kind of the stupid things that I've watched myself do or made myself do uh, in my life and so I'm going to read a couple pieces for you and then if you have any questions do you know if you'll have questions or you can't tell yet you can't tell yet how, how it goes. And they don't have to be about the book. They, don't have to be, they can be like, who am I, mummy? Right? They can be any kind of question at all. So think about the questions. And if you want to have a question, is there, is there too much uh, reverb on my voice? Just the right amount? I feel like I'm in, in Uriah Heep, which is a band that, only, that hardly anyone in the world would know. So it's the kind of reference that I would make. See, anything that comes into my head, you have to hear. Uriah Heep. Um, Ricky, Ricky likes uh, Air Supply. It's his favorite uh, band and uh, tasteful country music, you know? Tasteful. Um, this is a piece called Good Investment. Ever get up and go somewhere and forget why you went there? That happened to me. I went to college. That's a joke I used to do when I used to do stand-up comedy and had something called an act. 
And I remember thinking about that one day when I was lying alone in a house I'd moved into, alone. I'd been living with a woman in her house. She was older, uh, and I hate to admit it, but I've always had a thing for older women. Uh, There's a cliche. If you want to know what the girl you're thinking of marrying is going to end up looking like, um, take a peek at her mother. And I would always think, why wait? (laughs) Just date the mother. Um, And I say that in full discretion, uh, disclosure, that my actual mother-in-law is here this evening. (laughs) Kind of a hip urban writer am I to take my mother-in-law as my posse and sober coach. Um, Back to the script. I've been living with a slightly older woman, woman, yet for some reason I'd gone and bought a house just like the one we were living in. Curious, right? I told her what I had told myself, that it was a good investment. At hearing this, her kind face quivered. She realized then I, what I would know soon is that I was leaving her. So we broke up, first slowly, then all of a sudden, which is how all breakups always go. I didn't just leave her. I left behind my crucifixion machine. How many of you bad dudes can say that? It was from our silly skit show, a scene called Dr. Seuss Bible, where a Seussian Jesus gets crucified on a cartoonish Rube Goldberg-style machine. Forgive them, Jesus says, for they know not what they do, for they wander this world in tocrampity shoes. The machine was huge, it was bright. Not all the clean, elegant design the woman had favored, or even the shabby chic, which was all the rage at the time. I'd had to hire three men to carry it in, not telling them what it was, it being a crucifixion machine and all. But the woman didn't stop me, and the machine stayed and remained. It blocked the light that poured into otherwise tasteful Victorian home. But after I left, I'm sure she stared up at that yellow cross, a cruel reminder of what I had done to her. I'm so comically dark that even now, I think it's hilarious. But you are a reader of stories. You know how things will twist. I would end up getting mine. I found myself alone in my good investment, not feeling invested in it at all. When I first bought the house, I didn't move into it for months. So when I finally did arrive, all the neighbors gathered around to see who was coming to join their neighborhood. How disappointed they must have been when it was just me getting out of a cab, a coffee maker under my arm. Oh, right, I had my little cowboy boots tucked under the other arm and a a bag of receipts and a glad garbage bag. I spent days lying on my sheetless bed, wondered what I had done. The worst part about the house was its location. It was right near my bed. So I'd wake up in the morning in the house, and the house would be there, and I would be in it. And what was worse is the house was in a nice family neighborhood. I was not a family. I was the pie-shaped weirdo from the silly skit show who came and went at gruesome hours, playing Husker Du all the goddamn time. Honestly, I tried to fit in. I smiled at my neighbors. I smiled at their children. I watched their everyone plays, everyone wins, non-competitive baseball games. I'd even shout the occasional, attaboy. I learned that in this modern era. You're not allowed to cheer for a specific kid or even a team, but rather the sport itself. Go baseball! (laughs) 
In truth, I didn't fit in because I wasn't part of a family. It wasn't like everyone else in the neighborhood doing things as a family, pushing people on the sidewalk saying, get out of my way. I have to get a perfect turkey for my family. We need family time. Family is the most important thing. No, it's not. I came from one. <laughs> what is a family? A family is a tyrannical clutch of people who look like you but are nothing like you. A family is something we survive. All those cruel little self-obsessed units, zombies with their outstretched arms, taking pictures they already have. Does a family have to be the people we are born into? I think a family can be whatever we want to create. Why can't a family be every record Johnny Cash ever recorded? What's wrong with being part of a close-knit phone sex community? Or a widower and, her, and his boyfriend who cooks for you every Sunday? What about a Pilates instructor who lets you come over drunk? No questions asked. And one of those questions being, who's the other Pilates instructor you sometimes visit? Why not a rose garden, a parrot, and a vibrator? Or perhaps even a little man and a poodle? Speaking of transitions... <laughs> I had bought a poodle the previous month in a bout of ennui. Okay, fuck off, I was hungover. <laughs> I called the breeder, a keeper of dogs from broken homes, and I said, I'm lonely, what do you got? There was only a poodle. I didn't want to meet a poodle, but I thought I should. I thought it might be a gateway to better dogs. <laughs> I told myself that whatever I did, I would not come home with this poodle. Cut to me in a cab with a poodle. I was now living alone with a poodle I wasn't so sure about who wasn't so sure about me. It was sort of like a, a rom-com where we didn't like each other at first, but we really started to fall for each other at the 50-minute mark. So much so that all the other guys in my skit troupe calling her wife or wifey, there's Bruce and his wife, and we'd walk out in this family neighborhood, and I was started to feel kind of part of things all of a sudden. We would wave at the children we encountered and now they would wave back. One day on our walk, I noticed a flyer on a telephone pole. The small detail that I would tell you as a writer so you'd know I'm telling the truth. It was for a play that very weekend at the local grade school. Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I thought, well, I'm a lonely man. I have nothing to do on Saturday and I love silly shit. <laughs> This is the trifecta. Seeing a high school production of Joseph, the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, done by children, was the best thing I could possibly think of to do with my weekend. So I had my assistant phone and get me a ticket. This was true. Yes, just one. I know, we think it's sad too. Don't tell anyone he had a really great woman, but he just left her for no reason. I must admit... I was really looking forward to this play. It was four days away, but I could barely wait. I'd lay in my bed in anticipation. Time just could not move fast enough. It was unnatural. I'd be in the middle of my silly skit on my show, and someone would say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just thinking about the play I'm going to see on Saturday night. It was unnerving to people who didn't know me well. The night of the play, I took my seat. And eagerly, I have to say, even though my ex Expectations were extremely high. The show delivered, and then some. I sat there wishing I was a theater critic so I could give it a rave. The only confusing part is that they had rotating Josephs. 
But why wouldn't they? I'm sure everyone in this talent-laden school would want to play the meaty role. The third Joseph was my favorite. She was actually a young Asian girl, quick on her feet and brimming with soul. As the lights went out for intermission, I stayed in my seat, still scribbling notes, scribbling notes in my program for the imaginary review I was now writing. A few people came over, of course, presumed they wanted an autograph. My pen, my pen, my pen. But nope, they did not want my autograph. They wondered why I was there. The principal had arrived and explained that the production was for friends and family only. Well, you got me there. I ain't neither of those. Well, then why are you here? asked the principal. Well, I'm here because I like children. In retrospect, I wish I'd thought a little longer before I'd said that because I realized what it should have been obvious is that they were accusing me of liking children, of really liking children. Then some cruel bastard came over. I, I assumed he was the math teacher. He said, obviously you're a pedophile. I've seen you with your poodle prancing around, smiling at kids. I turned to him and I said, sir, you are wrong. That is no poodle. That is my wife. <laughs> Not all families are the same. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Check it out. Um, a lot of the book is, you know, I've, I've said I had three families in my life. Uh, my, first, my first shitty family that I crawled out of. And um, the second one is the kids in the hall. Uh, family who I, I, I still deal with each and every day of my life. Um, and the last one is the family that uh, I finally created. Uh, and this is a story that has a little bit, hopefully, to do with that. Uh, it's called Radiohead. Uh, How do you feel about marriage and children? I screamed into the ear of the unimpressed girl I was with. What? I can't hear you. I guess she couldn't hear me over the haunting dirge that was Radiohead. I was just curious, how do you feel about marriage and children? She looked at me and laughed. It did seem like a non sequitur, it being our first date and all. We were four hours into a five-hour date that was going badly. And great, great for me, badly for her. A lurching night if there ever was one. Marriage and kids, she stammered. Seriously, I guess anything is possible for anyone, depending on what the people who are having the conversation think of things. Literally the vaguest answer of all time. I realized I was on the verge of appearing, or actually being, a creep. I couldn't help myself. That night, the unimpressed girl came over me like a golden shadow. A shadow that did not seem to notice me. For me, it wasn't love at first sight, but love at first night. But it was one-sided, as if I was ejaculating into a whirring fan. She half-smiled and turned back to the band. I watched the back of her head for a while. Radiohead are pretty dull, especially on a bad night, and I think this was one. We were in a huge airplane hangar, me, some Radiohead fans, and the unimpressed girl whom I was blowing it with. When the next song was over, I really wasn't sure if it was over or if it was even a song for that matter, I tried another tactic. Do you want to get out of here? She looked at me quizzically. No, Radiohead's my favorite band. Oh, I backpedaled. Yeah, I don't want to get out of here either. I was just making sure that you wanted to stay. Radiohead is my favorite band too. Cool. What's your favorite album? 
I couldn't think of the names of any Radiohead albums. Long pause. This one, I finally said in reference to the song that was playing, which made about as much sense as the other things I'd said that night. So she looked at me, an old fool, then turned back to the band. She had passed the jukebox test I had given her earlier when we had started the night with a cautious beer. I'd escorted her to the jukebox, plugged in the quarters and asked, what would you like to play? The Buzzcocks or Journey? (laughs) It's a trick question. The correct answer being Journey. Any cool fool can play the Buzzcocks and of course on a desert island the Buzzcocks would be the right answer. But this was not a desert island. This was a bar that served inedible food but had a good jukebox. Only someone so cool that they didn't care if they seemed cool or not could play Journey. She pressed the buttons and Journey blared. As she moved her shoulders to the music Journey never sounded or looked so good. She had passed the test that others had failed. She had also passed my dress test. I've bought enough dresses with enough women to know that they should just know. They should come out of the change room and glance in the mirror and say, yes, this dress is perfect. I don't even have to look at the price tag. They shouldn't come out of the change room puckering their face saying, I like it, but is mustard really my color? Well, mustard isn't really anyone's color. They shouldn't have to be convinced or convince themselves. This, of course, is an analogy to love. A woman shouldn't say, I like Derek. He's a nice guy. He takes good care of himself. I feel safe when I'm with him. She should say, I want me some Derek. Me wait outside Derek house. Me no need sleep. Just Derek. On sight, I had felt yes about her, but she did not feel the same about me. Oh, well, live and fail. The date had been a setup. A friend of mine who owed me $300 thought I'd forgive the debt if he set me up with a nice girl. We both knew my history, that I'd always blown it with the nice ones. I'd actually broken the hearts of two girls named Karen the previous year. What are the odds? Actually pretty good. (laughs) I'd be or seem interested in a certain woman and just fade away. I'd get into my own head, think about what I wanted to do next. The next thing I knew, it was two months later and I had blown it. But I was getting older. I had made a change that was invisible even to me. There was caution now to what had once come naturally. As a young man, I never thought so much about relationships. I just followed the frayed map that I had been handed in my childhood. The map had bumpy dirt roads, where other people's maps had highways and bright green road signs that said, Marriage and Children. When I was young, I had no interest in being part of a couple. All those hopeless, paired-up fools. As the world goes marching two by two, people pairing up, finishing each other's sentences, sharing one brain. Honey, what did we think of that film? Couples where she cuts his hair, and it looks like shit, but it doesn't matter because they're not going anywhere. (laughs) Couples getting fat, but it doesn't matter because they're getting exactly as fat as each other. Shopping, discussing, wearing matching windbreakers. So I'd white-knuckled it through my 20s, blowing it with a series of gals who had waited for me to grow up, a series of gals who got tired and moved on to the guys who had already grown up. My sense of self-preservation or selfishness had left me single well into my 30s. What was the point anyway? All our parents divorced. Why wouldn't we? And the people around me who had married young had started to crack. So I, I should have counted myself lucky. But I didn't feel that way. When I looked up, I felt like I'd missed it. I was 35. I knew I would never marry. 
never have children. This was my story. I would be an elegant older gentleman, alone but not lonely. There were other things ahead of me. There was charity work. Yes, I would give back the love I had not been given. I would read, not just horoscopes or magazines, but but books. I would garden. Yes, I would fire my gardener and travel. If I traveled a lot, I might hire my gardener back to be determined. Yes, I would travel. And not just to all-inclusive resorts where they put a wristband on you, but to Europe, old cities where people spoke languages I didn't understand yet. But I would learn all the Earth's languages. What are there, 10, 15? I would become polyglot, a silly word that would come up in many of the interesting conversations I would soon have. I would often eat in cafes where waiters would say, Si, senorita elegante, si, mole, mon solitaire, which is Italian for, you're an elegant gentleman who is alone, but not lonely, in case you ever need to know it. But it kept coming back to me like a bad smell I craved. Marriage and children. Marriage and children. And tonight I had blurted it out for the first time. After Radiohead did a begrudging encore, the unimpressed girl got into my car. I said, hey, that was fun. Do you want to go somewhere else, a nightcap? She thought for a moment and yawned. Yes, yawned. The night was young, but I was old. Then she said, you know what I'd really like? I'd like to go to the store. I need some bread for the morning. Sure, why not? That would be a perfect ending to this shitty night. (laughs) The last portion of our date was me waiting outside a 7-Eleven as she bought a loaf of bread. As Radiohead would have said, you did it to yourself. It was the end of the night. Before she got out of my car, I stammered on about how I must seem weird, but I'm not. Well, I am weird, but I'm not that weird. And she stared at me, and then I said, if she wanted to do something sometime, somewhere, some when, just give me a dingle. Yes, I used the word dingle. <laughs> that night had been a disaster, and I knew I was letting a summer peach out of my car, and a long winter would follow. As she got out, I went to give her a pack and hoped that I conveyed... Uh, Oh, well, we tried more than I'm a creepy man. But she turned her head, and I I caught her in the ear. Not the soft landing I had imagined. Uh, She actually wiped her ear before she exited into the safety of the dark night. Her pretty legs chopped up the sidewalk to her house. What a fuck I am, I said to the empty car. I regrouped for a minute, but then realized, in her haste to get out, she had forgotten her bread. What to do? Leave bad enough alone? No. I was now an elegant older man, and I would rescue the lady's loaf. I walked up to the massive Victorian that had been broken up into starter apartments. I didn't exactly know where she lived. I stared up at the faded names and numbers on the intercom. No help. So I decided to walk around the periphery of the house and maybe find her somehow. And as I moved around, huffing and puffing, fate smiled upon me. I heard music. Yes, Radiohead. It was coming from a basement apartment. I bent down and peered inside. From this precarious angle, I could see a sliver of the apartment. Judging by the decor, it could be her place. But I wanted to make sure, so I pushed my face against the window to get a better look. Then I saw her. She was coming out of the bedroom. Of course, after a, a date, you after a bad date, you all you want to do is get your bad date clothes off, clothes off as quickly as possible. Problem was, she hadn't put any clothes back on. She was naked. 
Then she saw me leering into and fogging up her window, seemingly, definitely staring at her tits. She screamed. I shook her loaf, shouting, You're bread! As if that explained everything. She covered up and yelled, Just leave it! Where, I asked. Just leave it there, outside, anywhere. I'll get it later. Trying to hold on to my last shred of dignity, I said, Okay, call me. Then I placed the loaf of bread on the snowy ground and went home. But of course, she did not call me the next day, and she did not call me the day after that. And no, she did not call me the day after the day after that, or the day after the day after that. Nor did she call the day after the day after that. But then she called. We laughed about what she described as the worst date in history. Nope, I can prove you wrong. I can show you an even worse date. And she let me, but it wasn't. This, uh, this time, I did not ask her about marriage or children, nor did I see her naked, accidentally or otherwise. And this is the true story of my pretty wife that I will one day tell our children of how we met. Woo! Thank you. Um, I'm going to read one more little piece, and then maybe you're thinking about those questions you may or may not have for me. Um, this is uh, something I wrote. Um, there was a time, you know, when you get happy, it's a, when you're sad, your, your life's just on fire, or you're depressed, and you just, you, you don't really worry too much about the future or something. You just think you're in a dark place. But when you're happy, it kind of gets worse. So there was a phase when my wife and I with our children were quite happy. And so, of course, um, uh, there's a story in here called uh, liver cancer, which for various reasons I thought I had liver cancer. And we had a few things that happened and a bad test and a weird thing. And then you know, I was hearing City of Hope on the radio. And, you know, everyone was, every word in the paper was cancer and every pain was cancer-related. And... Um, so I was pretty sure that I had cancer, and my wife thought, yes, we're too happy. You're going to have cancer now. And I remember we were like, but we're so happy. Of course, of course we're going to fucking, you're going to get cancer. You're going to die. And, I'm, and, and I remember the night before I finally could get in to see the doctor, um, we, we lied in bed sort of shivering and, and sweating and shaking. And um, she, she said what I thought was she was on, in her own, said, um, but I have a student loan. Which it actually turned out is that she had said, she told me a few days later, that I can't do it alone. Um, but the, the, the true story was, I thought, of course, yeah, of course I'm going to die. And I, I played a character, some of you may or may not know, called Cancer Boy um, in a movie. So, yeah, of course, well, why wouldn't I have cancer? And liver cancer? Yeah, I've had a drink or two. Um, and so then we, we went, went to the doctor the next day, and we went into the waiting room, and you, 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 you just know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah this is it. And it's a pink, pink waiting room. This is where I'm going to hear, the, hear the, that paper. Yeah, I'm one of those people now. And he came in eventually, and we, my wife and I just broke into tears. And we just broke down, like, blubbering. And not, like, sexy movie of the week, like Treat Williams kind of blubbering, but, like, snot coming out of our nose. We can't say words, and we're both, we're both stupid, and, like, little kids crying, and snot and stuff. And he's, well, why are you crying? I was, well, we th- we, he has liver cancer. We, we, th- we know. And she goes, come on, we know, we know. And then he started asking me a bunch of questions, because um, he'd done a bunch of blood work and all that. And it's, like, mostly about my nutrition, and I'd said, and he said, well, why do you keep asking me about my nutrition? He said, well, you don't have liver cancer, but you're getting pretty fat. 
<laughs> so the good news was, I wasn't dying of liver cancer. I was just really, really fat. Um, but I was never happier to be kind of fat um, than then. And, but that night, I truly... In the middle of the night, I thought, I, my children were six and eight at the time. It's like, I have to tell them everything. I have, to, I, have to, I have to wake up my son and talk to him about all the great bands in the world. And I have to, I have to you know, write down everything I know and give them my dad's spaghetti recipe that really means, you know, secret recipe. It's add some cinnamon, big deal. But anyway, I had to, I had to impart all the things I knew. Um, so... I actually got up and started writing. It was a pretty lonely night. It wasn't, wasn't my best work. Um, and I didn't have my writing assistant there. She wouldn't come over. Um, so I wrote a little piece, which I will close with, um, called The Brusa Dorata, which um, probably none of you are old enough to remember the tone poem from the 70s called The Desert Dorata that hung on people's um, rumpus rooms as you made out with a young girl listening to the clock radio. Um, so this is called the Brusa Dorata. It's kind of what I know. You are a child, not of the universe, but of your parents. You have the right to outwit, outplay, and outlast them. It is the basis of evolution. Don't walk placidly amidst the haste. People will think you are stupid or some sort of Christian. As far as possible, be nice, but not too nice, because you'll be labeled as just really nice. Then you'll have to be nice all the time. It will be a jail of your own creation. When you are young, do not trust people just because they are old. And when you get older, do not trust people just because they are young. Our mistakes make us who we are. Our accomplishments, who we think we are. Only time will reveal which is which. If you have to burn your bridges, make sure you cross them first. Now, you can date a crazy chick, but please do not marry one. You can date a bad boy, but no, you cannot change him. Always know you are responsible for your own mood, even if lesser fools have put you in that mood. If you forget someone's name, it is not your fault. It is theirs for not being more memorable. (laughs) Therefore, on this earth, dullards should wear name tags. Don't rush to become who you are. It may take longer to get there if you do. Follow your dreams. Unless your dream is exactly the same as everybody else's dream. Like, become a star. Or just merely famous. In those cases, don't follow your dreams get a job. Never ask a question you don't want the answer to. For example, honey, are you happy? Or do you like my red glasses? The pornography we make as an act of freedom in our youth can become the shackles of shame in our old age. So be careful with the camcorder. Don't be creepy in bed. But then again, one person's creepy is another person's wild. So proceed cautiously between the sheets. The secret to happiness is this. Set the coffee maker at night. So when you wake up in the morning, the coffee is ready. Okay, perhaps that's not the secret of happiness, but more of a helpful hint. Regarding karma, those people who you think will get theirs won't. They will keep using yours. The quicker you come to peace with this, the happier you will be. Remember, the love you are given will pour right through you if you don't know who you are. Cry when you have to. Otherwise, the tear you don't cry will one day 
become a wave. Life is a beautiful miracle that rises up from the universe to flow through you. But life can be really boring too. So turn to each other to help you through this dull, beautiful life. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, Before I go into the musical theater portion of the show, no. Um, Does anybody have any questions for me? Yes. She is not. Just just her mother. Oh, well, I was wondering, um, what made her want to give you a second chance after your disastrous date? Um, well, I, I, it's weird. I don't know. It, um, I think there was something about me. Like, I'm sort of, you know, I'm a Tasmanian devil. And I think, I think because one of my best friends has sort of um, organized it, I think he could do some reconnaissance behind, behind the thing. And I think because I sort of screwed up, but I didn't keep screwing up. Like I didn't like send her a poem I'd written or a song or like my jean jacket. Um, I don't know. I think she saw some some weird goodness in me. Um, but it kind of took us a while to get past that. It, it did in some way. Yeah. Uh, you can make one. It's like because I've I've, I've re- read a lot of like uh, adventure stuff. You know, like when people go mountain climbing. You can make one big mistake. But if you make two big mistakes, you die. And so I'd only made one, like, one bad, bad night. Like, I didn't, you know, piss my pants the next time we went to, you know, the old spaghetti factory or something like that. So, um, yeah. Um, anything else? Sir? You said you had the crucifixion machine. Do you, do you keep any other props or anything like that? Um, well, I have, the, I have the odd thing, but no, I, you know, it was, it was funny. I was the holder of the kids in the hall stuff because I was actually sort of probably the most organized for a while, the other guys that had uh, divorces. But I had the, I was starting to feel really bad for it. I had some fan mail that we'd been given in the 80s, and I'd given a couple boxes of fan mail that we'd never gone through. And I felt so bad. And it's like one night, it's like, should I go down to my creepy basement? And I started looking at this stuff, and it was like, it was wasn't really my fan mail anymore because they were sending it to someone decades ago. Um, and so I guess that was probably, that's, that was probably the only thing. And I don't even know. I think I moved out. Is that mail still in our storage space? I asked my mother-in-law. Oh, my cactus is there. Okay, I have a cactus from one, from one of the shows. Yeah. But the crucifixion machine was real. And I did, I did leave it behind. A, a woman lady, lady friend. Anyone else? Sir. If you had to liken the three families of your life to a band, respectively. Right. Well, my... Maybe Frank Zappa was my family. Because um, it was there was a lot of cacophony and things didn't make sense, but ever so often made a little sense and came together and were brilliant, but not you know n- not so. And the kids in the hall, um, my good lady wife always says everything I touch turns to cult, <laughs> which is why we live in the little house. Um, and so you know. I think we would be, you know, the kids in the hall have a thing we do now, because we're on tour actually right now, we're doing a show tomorrow at um, the Ace, um, but when there's like like one weird guy who doesn't know who we are who has a picture, and then like, uh, you know, a, a high school girl with daddy issues, goth girl, um, waiting for us to sign something, we, we always sing to ourselves, hard day's night, it's been a hard, because we're not the Beatles, um, so I think... Um, I think we'd be someone who is respected and can fill a small hall. 
like the Pixies, maybe, or something like that. And the Pixies, like, people like the Pixies, but I don't know how many Pixies songs I could name, really, or something, so we're sort of like that. Um, And my family now, uh, I don't know, probably more like um, Jefferson Airplane and Jefferson Starship, (laughs) where there's some real middle-of-the-road stuff that you just hum along and it's all, everything's okay as you're emptying the dishwasher, and then there's some darker stuff going on. Um, anyone else? See, I looked at you like that. You, I, if, in, no? Yes. To? You know what is funny? They're so... <laughs> The, the lucky thing that with Kids in the Hall fans that they're sort of the same wherever you go, even if the cities are different, because one of the big themes about this book is about outsiders. And as a young man, I thought, you know, I grew up in Calgary where there's no internet. You know, you just hope Nazareth would come to town. And, like, there you, you hope to find your like-minded weirdos. But I realized that the people who, you know, the very few people who like this book or like the Kids in the Hall are like-minded. So somebody in Milwaukee... I, is this, uh, performing there is kind of the same as performing in L.A. or San Francisco or something. But having said that, I love the West Coast. We just, we just did San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, and L.A. tomorrow night, and that's kind of the best jaunt for us. One more question, sir. Is there new material on this tour? If so, how do you... Well, there, we did a we did an all new material show about a year ago, which we do ever so often. Where we write fast, we put it up fast, and then we see what we have. So we took some of that from this, and we're endeavoring now because we had done a mini series a few years ago. We'll probably do a limited sketch series, which is part of part of what's hoping hopefully will come out of tomorrow night. So that's kind of what we're pounding away on. Well, thank you so much for coming out. I really really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.